Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions, like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAG, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDAC is changing for the better. For the better. Like you. BetDAC, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome back to the Walker Report Extra Podcast. It's a Wembley special. It's, uh, I think, at the time of speaking, we're about four or five days away from Wembley, but we all know that it's probably going to start on Saturday night. Um, as you're probably aware, we normally take someone associated with our opposition on Extra, but this week we've got a man, uh, you know, who we could say is a bit of an expert in League One and League Two. Um, many of you will know of him, and we promise we'll try our best not to mention expected goals and touches in the box. Um, George Ellick of the Not The Top 20 podcast. How are you doing, George? Are you well? Yeah, I'm okay, mate. Um, it's actually probably wouldn't be so bad for you guys to talk about that stuff now, but, uh, but I understand why you'd be hesitant to do so. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get on to it. Um, I, am, I am hesitant. That, that would be the right word to use. So... Um, <laughs> Straight from the top, George, um, check the trade trophy final this Sunday. Many, many League One and two clubs have boycotted the trophy. I had a Bristol Rovers fan on before the league game, asked him about the same thing. He 100% wasn't into the idea of the check trade trophy. He wasn't even going to the semi-final, but Sunderland and Portsmouth are completely embracing it. We've pretty much sold that Wembley as far as I can see. Um, as a fan of, of Oxford and the League One, League Two clubs, what's your thoughts on the competition? <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting how quickly um, fans who, who boycott seem to change their minds when it gets to Wembley. Um, as an Oxford fan, we got to the, to the final against Barnsley the year before the B teams came in. And then we got to the final the next year as well against Coventry. And, um, and I went to the Barnsley game and I didn't go to the Coventry game. So maybe that tells you a little bit about my thoughts on, on the Checker Trade Trophy. Um, I, I'm not a massive fan of it, to be honest. I think it, it's different for, for clubs who are probably destined to spend most of their existence in League One and League Two um, because this was a competition that was very handy for us previously to blood new players. Um, and the, the disrespect, I guess, that, that clubs are treated with in League One and League Two now where these B teams have been brought in, um, they're allowed to basically pick 
pretty much whatever team they want, yet there are restrictions on the clubs in League One and League Two that they cannot play a certain amount of youngsters. Just seems totally unfair um, that, that you can be sanctioned. I mean, Nathan Jones got a fine a couple of years ago, uh, basically deliberately, by playing a youth team for Luton um, because he just said it was so ridiculous. So it, it just feels like it's the powers that be maybe treating some clubs down here with a little bit of disrespect. But as I also say, you know, you don't get the chance to see your club at Wembley that many times in a cup final. Um, so it, it's no shock to see two massive clubs in Pompey and Sunderland both um, pretty much set out their allocation at Wembley. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't that long ago we were there with uh, the League One Cup final and that was one of the, the greatest days of many of our lives, I think, to be honest with you, even though we did get beat. So I suppose what's been quite nice is a lot of fans from League One and League Two have been able to, uh, you know, look at Sunderland and Portsmouth and kind of have an understanding of why we're why we're excited for the Checker Trade Trophy. Um, we've been through a couple of years. Do you think Do you think maybe as an outsider looking in that Sunderland deserve a day out at Wembley? Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think both clubs who, you know, two clubs who, who are bigger than, than the level they're at currently, um, who've been chronically mismanaged from the top in, in you know, very recent history. So there's no, de- there's no doubt, no denying that both sets of fans deserve this day out, and especially Sunderland. You know, it wasn't too long ago that Portsmouth won the FA Cup, so we can't feel too sorry for them. Um, but, uh, but you guys, you know, it's, been, it's not your fault that you've seen your club be, be basically dismantled in the last, um, you know, the 18 months before this season. So... Um, to, to, for you guys to have this day out uh, at Wembley is going to be amazing. And you've also got the, the brilliant thing. I mean, I, I, I also saw Oxford uh, get promoted out, out, of the, out of the conference at Wembley, and that was one of the greatest days of my life, May the 16th, 2010. And, uh, and the good thing about these games is that you've got bigger fish to fry. You know, if you go down for a weekend in London and you, you come back and you beat 2-0, then it's not the end of the world because you're still fighting for automatic promotion. So it's, it, it's almost the perfect day out. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I think as much as I'm excited... Many of us are excited for the game. Um, I think most of us would take losing this one if it meant automatic promotion or promotion in general. Um, without a doubt, I don't think any of us would rather win this and then maybe go up next season. I think we, automatic promotion is the main thing, but if we can do both, that would be even nicer. Um, <laughs> going on to the game, I suppose there is a game. I keep talking about the day out and stuff like that, but there is a game that's going to be played, which is the the main event, I suppose. I've earmarked quite a few players so for Portsmouth that I think is going to cause the damage and it's pretty much going straight through their team. I think Omar Bogles hit the ground running. Uh, four in eight, I think he scored. You've got Jamal Lowe, who's been great all season. I think Matthew Clark's probably the best centre-off in the whole league. They're, they're the key players that I've picked out for Portsmouth, but as someone who watches you know, the League One regularly, as I said before, a bit of an expert, really. Um, who do you think Sunderland need to be wary of going into Sunday and where do you think the key battles are going to be? It's interesting to hear you saying that Clark's the best centre-back in, uh, in League One because I got pelters back in uh, November when I said so and Sunderland fans telling me it was Jack Baldwin. But um, <laughs> we'll move on from that. <laughs> I agree and, with uh, you on that, <laughs> for the record. <laughs> um, but, uh, but Pom, I mean, as you mentioned there, they're, they're, they've almost got an embarrassment of riches in this league, um, to be honest. And you mentioned Omar Bogle, um, who, who's a player that I think has a big reputation and I wasn't necessarily sure it was the smartest signing from Portsmouth when they made it, but um, you know he's pretty far down the line of proving me wrong. He's had a fantastic start there. Um, but Portsmouth made a lot of signings in January, which surprised me given the, how, how well they were playing at that time. And it felt like the, the, the signings of the likes of, of Bogle and, and Vaughan kind of unsteadied the ship, which, which led to a bit of a, bit of a shake-up. But now you know, it seems like that, that's gelled together. And, I mean, they're striking options. If you think they, they, they normally play a 4-2-3-1 and they've got 
Pittman, Brett Pittman, who was the best striker in League One last season, Omar Vogel, um, James Vaughan, who scored 20-odd goals for, for Berry last time he was in this league, and Ollie Hawkins, who was their main striker, a target man up front, for the first half of the season. They've got four strikers there, and realistically can only really play one. Um, Ronan Curtis was out of, the, out, out of their game on Saturday, um, who normally plays on the wing, one side of, of the striker, with, with Jamal Lowe on the other side. Um, Curtis had his stitches, is getting his stitches out of his finger today. Um, so whether or not he'll be able to play is, is quite a big thing in this game because without Curtis, he, Curtis came in from, from the League of Ireland last summer and had an unbelievable start and one of those kind of unsustainable starts that you rarely see a player stepping up uh, make and his form has suffered somewhat since. But even so, because of the way the Portsmouth play, just his fitness alone is so important because they do like to play this 4-2-3-1. They had to shuffle the pack against Shrewsbury and play a 4-4-2 with, Beck, with Pittman and Bogle up front. It did work. But Kenny Jackett will definitely want to play his, his favourite system. So that's going to be important. Um, and then Gareth Evans is just a, a fantastic player at this level as well in midfield. Um, 30 years old. He, he's something of, of kind of the talisman and the leader, I guess, of this team. He's just signed a new contract as well. Um, and he's someone who, if given the space and the time in the middle of the park, will, will look to dictate play. I think when it comes to, you talked about Ronan Curtis as well. I think the only reason I sort of missed him out was because I've seen the, the, like the extent of his injury and it was, he jammed his finger in a door. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not a great time to do it when you're playing your first professional season and you're going to Wembley. But, um, but yeah, that's exactly it. Looks like his finger was hanging off. So hopefully it, it continues to hang off a little bit until at least Sunday and that maybe even the return game and then he can come back fit. <laughs> Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do do if, if he's not fit because I was surprised to see them go with the, with the two up front I mean they've got they've sort of an Otterbore as well who's a he's a very very quick winger um, who I suppose could could step in um, but yeah I'm not entirely sure how they'll set up um, especially Hawkins coming off the bench for Vogel and playing so well on the weekend also gives them uh, a few issues Who do you think the key battles are going to be? I mean, it, it's, it's difficult to say. I, th- I think crucially here, because of the, the way that Portsmouth are winning their games at the moment, um, you're looking at you know, a 5 one win again against Bradford, putting three past Walsall, two goals to in the last two games. They're, they're winning games by scoring goals. And because of the striking, having uh, to look at, at the, whoever they play up top, um, probably against Baldwin being, being the key centre-back as well. It'll be a, a pretty physical battle, I thought. All of those guys um, are very, very uh, strong and good in the air. Um, and then you're also looking at, um, at both uh, of those wingers. If, if they can play the wingers, crucially, I think Jamal Lowe's a player who can play across the front line. He's very versatile. Um, so I think it's going to be a case of those forward players trying to, uh, you know, a- a- against your back line effectively because the way I see Sunderland consistently is an unbelievable, uh, which we'll get onto later, an incredible effort to, to get through games. And basically, without wanting to use the word spirit because I don't really believe in it, just an amazing spirit. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me necessarily to see, as we have seen a fair few times with Sunderland, even recently when the performance has improved, um, large parts of games going in favour of, of the opposition and Sunderland's biggest strength is being able to you know, weather that storm, basically, and then be very, very effective when they do get on top. So for me, it's going to be a case of, of Sunderland having to keep the, the attacking talents of Portsmouth at bay. And then there's no denying the quality that you guys have as well. We know that Grant Nedbitter, um, as long as he's in the team, a key battle is always going to be Sutherland's um, danger from set pieces so that's going to be crucial here as well um, and, then, and then of course just trying to get the ball into, into um, Will Grigg who for me it's, I've been surprised to see him being a little bit wasteful in front of goal he's someone who, who at League One level I see as being um, probably the best in terms of, of finishing chances and, and when he first came to the club I was worried that 
he wouldn't get the chances needed to score. And it's almost gone the other way. He's had the chances for Sunderland, hasn't quite found his finishing boots yet. Um, but uh, whenever he's in the team, a key battle is going to be, um, be him against the, uh, the oppo back line. Yeah, I think with, with Greg as well, I think there was a Black, that Blackpool game where he rounded the keeper and missed those chances. He, he had missed quite a few, but thankfully he seems to have... I mean, his goal against uh, his goal against Walsall and also his goal in the semi-final against uh, Bristol Rovers were both, yeah. I think, maybe what you'd expect from him. So uh, luckily, I think Sunderland fans haven't really, at any point, worried too much because he's been getting in those positions, which I suppose is, is the good thing. Um, it was interesting. It, I don't know if you remember, but early mm-hmm. in the in, in the game at Oxford, um, which I think was his debut, he, he was, was released. He was released over the top and quick as you like. Fired in a, a finish into the bottom right hand corner and was called offside. And you kind of feel like if that hadn't if he hadn't been caught off called offside there, if he'd finished that chance ten minutes into his debut, um, it could have all kind of gone gone pretty quickly from there. But uh, but alas, he was offside and the, and, and the goal was chalked off. Yeah, I do remember that actually. It was a the kind of half volley, I think, wasn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. Um, looking at Sunderland's team, you mentioned about the defence as well. Um, one thing I, I suppose I haven't wrote down, but I, I wouldn't mind picking your brains on. I think many Sunderland fans would probably agree with me here that our weak link is probably the centre, the central defenders. Um, yeah. You've got Flanagan, Baldwin tailed off a heck of a lot, which is probably why you haven't got many people arguing about Baldwin being the best <laughs> centre off in the league. Um, we brought Jimmy Dunn in in January um, who if I'm honest with you hasn't done very well in my opinion and I think again many people would echo that sentiment we're not really too sure who's going to play on Saturday uh, you've got Flanagan and Baldwin started the game against Walsall and we looked just as dodgy um, sort of at the start of the game it was Flanagan's fault for the first goal I think I would expect Portsmouth to start with Bogle up front um, what do you think would be the most effective centre-half pairing for Sunderland against Portsmouth's uh, forward line? I think it's really, you've kind of hit the nail on the head there and I feel like the reason why the likes of Flanagan and Dunn um, probably aren't performing is because it, there's a consistent shuffling of the pack and that's because of lack of form. I mean, uh, Jimmy Dunn was a fantastic player last season um, at his last home spell and, and looked like a player who was destined for really, really big things. Um, and it hasn't, as you say, it hasn't quite happened to him. He's someone who I'm, I'm pretty sure that if Sunderland had the time to be able to commit um, to him as a defender, then, then he, he would come on leaps and bounds very quickly. But you don't have that time because realistically, you've got a cup final coming up on the weekend and then you've got a try promotion. So you can't really take a chance on a 20, 21-year-old centre-back who hasn't played that much football this season. And similarly with, uh, with Flanagan, he's another player who, who I think that, I mean, at Burton showed his qualities at this level. And he's probably someone who, because of his experience, you, you'd, go with, um, you'd go with here because he's been in and out of the team all season, struggling to get any real form, struggling to really build a partnership with anyone as well. Um, Baldwin is an interesting one because he is a player, I mean, I always think that once you, once you kind of cut through the, the hot air that, that comes out of, of, of certain fans when, when a player leaves the club, you can often find out a lot about them. And, and it was quite telling that when Baldwin left Posh, there wasn't, I mean, their fans that, and itself is always a bit of a concern because he's a player that they know very well. It didn't really seem to be sour grapes. And, and despite the good start, you mentioned that he, he's kind of regressed very, very quickly. And maybe that's just a sign of the fact that he's not necessarily the player that you thought you, you thought you'd got. So it, it, it's, it's difficult to say, and I wouldn't really like to, like to call it, but, but probably Flanagan overdone for me um, because of his experience. Although I do think that Dunn is a, is, is a player who, when you know, in a couple of years' time, it wouldn't surprise me if he's a top, top league one defender. Yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, he's uh, something not quite right with him, but he, he's a young boy. 
He's a, yeah, he's a very exactly. young boy. Um, Baldwin, yeah, I mean, he actually played quite well when he's since he's came back in, but in general, he really, really tailed off. I think for me, Flanagan's the pick of the three, but it's it's much of a muchness, if I'm completely yeah. honest. That, that's what does concern me, and I'm sure many Sunderland fans, but both sides are, are pretty much banging form. I mean, probably more so Portsmouth than us, because we had the draw against uh, Wickham, where we were poor, and I didn't think we were too great against Barnsley, but... Thought we performed well against Walsall, came back into that. And before that, we had a good, I think it was four wins on the bounce against sort of Plymouth, who were banging form at the time, Bristol Rovers, which was routine. Uh, but Portsmouth doing really well after, you know, having that little bit of a wobble after they've signed James Vaughan and, and Bogle came in and stuff like that, as you were talking about before. So how, how do you expect the game to go on Sunday? I think it's, it's, it's very hard to call. Um, yeah. The, the bookies having a tough time splitting them as well and it's, it's because the thing about, about Portsmouth is if you take out that, that bad run of form you know they were top of the league when the run of form started and they've been pretty rampant since it ended and so if you take out basically a month of the season um, they'll be up there with Luton so there's no denying their quality and their ability to, to win games I mean what I've been really impressed with Sunderland is, is despite um, my you know my, not my concerns but my, my thinking that maybe at times they've picked up points they haven't necessarily deserved. In the Checker Trade Trophy, you could not say that at all. Um, in the Checker Trade, you've been absolutely brilliant, uh, you know, just basically seeing off teams with ease. So going into this game as well, and I also think that your form at the Stadium of Light is obviously absolutely massive. Um, and so it, it's kind of hard to know with these games of mutual ground at Wembley, it's difficult to know if given, you know, the size of the Stadium of Light and, and the fact that you're used to those big grounds and big, big, uh, big, big crowds will suit you or if this is a bit more like an away game where I think that maybe the performances aren't quite so good it's very difficult to say so I think that my one concern would be that Portsmouth when they when they when they do light up and as you guys saw I guess at Fratton Park um, you know a month or so ago or two months ago they, they are very very good indeed and can see teams off very very quickly but the the way the Sunderland team play and the ability to, to score late goals the ability to score goals I mean it's a, what just one one um, blank this season um, no, you know, one defeat since December or whatever it is. I mean, there's no denying the the strength of character, I guess, the Sunderland squad as well, which yeah. fits into a cup final absolutely perfectly. So it's, I wouldn't like to call it either way. Um, I think the Portsmouth are more likely to win it by a few goals, if that makes sense. I don't, I can't see Sunderland turning up and and wiping the floor with them, but it's, uh, I think it's going to be a pretty low margin game and and, and uh, a great game to see as a neutral and then um, probably quite a nervy one as a fan. We talked about um, obviously Sunderland's home form and, and our ability to to score goals quite often, but a, a lot of that time we've only scored sort of one goal in the game. There was a really horrible period not so long ago, just before sort of Will Grigg came when we were only scoring sort of one goal. We seem to have fixed that, um, where we can sort of get like two two goals in a game, it seems, again. Um, do you think it would be the right, because there's a bit of, contention here we we generally play with the one up top with sort of McGeady uh well a mixture of players behind McGeady Gooch Morgan um but we turned the game against Walsall when strangely enough Charlie White who's a figure of a little bit of derision if I'm honest um came on and sort of set the goal up do you think it would be a wise idea to maybe go 4-4-2 with you know in my opinion Portsmouth having maybe the best the best centre-half in the league and sometimes Will Grigg looking a little bit isolated. Would you go with two up top or do you think we should continue with the same? I thought that, that Sunderland should do that since about November. 
um, to be honest. I mean, I know that Wyke is, is, a, is a figure of, of um, you know, hasn't necessarily shown the form that you thought, but, but I've seen a lot of Charlie White playing before he went to Sunderland and, and he is a very, very effective um, League One, uh, you know, League One striker. He may not be prolific, but I think when you've got someone like Will Grigg who comes alive in the box, who needs space to, 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 to do so, he's, he's always going to struggle playing as a lone striker. Um, because he's not particularly physical. He relies on his movement. And you know, McGeady is, is uh, I think, on his day, probably one of the best players, well, maybe the best player in League I would say that, yeah. yes. He's the best. Um, he, he's, he's a cut above. And his ability to, I think, his positional discipline to, to stay wide and the, the amount of space, space he finds himself in at times is, is fairly scary, I think, if you're, if you're, if you're the opposite, yeah. given, his, given his ability to come inside. And, you know, you know he's, he's a fantastic player. Um, but I, I do think that Wyke's, you know, Wyke's presence on the pitch, um, his his ability to to basically win headers and to use his strength and to hold the ball up, and uh, I think that can only be good for Grig. Given your defensive, I mean, whilst we've discussed the personnel at the back, the fact remains that Sunderland do not concede very many goals. Um, so you're probably whether or not a cup final is a good time to do it, but you probably could commit one man um, further forward as well without really sacrificing too much. Um, so, yeah, I think that would be a decent call. I mean, it's not the first time that, that Charlie White's come off the bench and, uh, and changed the game because I was at the Stadium of Light back in, uh, back in September or October, whenever it was, when he came yeah. on for the 10-man Sunderland. And, and I think if he hadn't come on, then that game was only going one way as well. So, um, it's, it's another, he's another player who, who's played very, you know, hasn't really been able to, to get into a stride this season. And I, and I do think that it would be a mistake to write him off because there's a reason why you signed him. There's a reason why he was very, very good um, for, for both Carlisle and Bradford before he, he came to Sunderland and that's because he's a, he's a good player. I just think it's a case of he's not a, I think he's a lot of the time he's been played as a central striker on his own and I definitely don't think with our team he's he's that kind of player I've mentioned a few times you've got the likes of Maguire Beach yeah. and, and McGeady who don't whip balls in with one touch they like to take the player on about seven times especially <laughs> Lyndon Gooch's case Um and then put the cross in, so he's not really attacking the ball. I think if you've got the team that we've got, and you've got White in the box, but not necessarily having to be the man attacking the ball, he can be the one that knocks it on. You've got great yeah. ability there. I just, it's a, it's a thought I've had, and I mean, I, I remember last time we went to Wembley it was the first time we played Fabio Barini as a central striker, and that had never happened before. And he scored within ten minutes, so mm. maybe the change of system would work and take people yeah, by yeah. surprise. But I don't know. Um, talking about touches in the box, we might as yeah, well touch about on it. To say. <laughs> um, it was an awful lot made about your comments, and there was a lot, a lot of vitriol that was aimed at you. Let's be honest. Um, that's our fan base. Don't take that's it too right. personally. Okay. <laughs> um, a lot, of, a lot of talk on uh, expected goals, touches in the box. You felt we would struggle, and I really seen your point. I think I give you a bit of chip as well because I said, but not everyone's got Nader McGeady, which is true. Yeah. Um, but we're still well on track for automatic promotion and you've sort of touched on it already uh, that, you know, things have changed. So has something changed your opinion and how have things changed since that original comment for you? Yeah, like yes and no, I guess. I mean, the, the key thing here I, I would say is is if you looked, when I made those comments, the odds on Sunderland to get promoted was four to six. They're now 10 to 11, so a little bit bigger. So it's not like <laughs> there's been a massive movement towards what I said. There's also, it's worth pointing out, a lot of the people who replied to me seem to be suggesting that, that Sunderland would walk the league, which, which also hasn't happened as well. There's no denying that, that things have improved and, and, and the massive drop away that I maybe um, hinted at hasn't happened. Um, the, the interesting thing about expected goals and about touching the box and all this stuff is there's definitely a, um, with, a, with a, probably the majority of football fans, especially at League One League Two level, 
there's a rejection of, of any data points, which is a bit of a shame because, you know, there's a lot of people telling me that, that football's played on grass and not on spreadsheets. And <laughs> that's obviously yeah. true. But, but whenever we talk about a game of football, like just me and you just then having a chat about, about Charlie White and his merits and, and systems, we, we talk about this stuff anyway. It's just putting a data point on it. There's no, nobody um, denies the fact that if you're watching a game of football and your team is consistently creating more chances than the opposition team, you're going to leave and you draw nil-nil. You're going to leave and say, we should have won that. All it is is just trying to rationalise that. And, and realistically, over the course of the season, if you are consistently giving up worse chances than your opposition... The, the reliance on players like Aid McGeady, who was obviously a cut above this level, isn't really sustainable. So all I kind of would reply to people when I was feeling in a good mood, when I was feeling in a bad mood, I'd probably try and bait them a bit. But um, <laughs> just, just to say, just to say two, one or two things is going to happen. Either the form's going to drop off or your performances are going to improve. And I would say that basically both happened at a time where pretty soon afterwards there was that, there was that run of form where, I mean, you were still scoring, you, you already alluded to it earlier, you weren't losing games. Um, you were basically scoring one goal in every game, but you were drawing a lot of games and the performances um, were not good. Uh, and it kind of culminated towards the end of January, I guess. It was that kind of middle of December to late January period. Um, and, and you lost pace on the, on the top two. However, since then, um, in the last six or seven games, um, the performance data has, has changed. You, you've got positive XG ratio for the first time this season, basically since the first couple of games, which means that you're, um, you know, you're creating better chance of the opposition in the games. And lo and behold, the performances have improved. The results have improved, sorry. Um, so I, I, I stand by what I said back then in that I, I didn't think that at the time Sunderland were one of the top two or three teams in the league. Um, I think that right now, you possibly are, but it, there still needs to be more of a, an impetus, I guess. Um, you, you know, we've spoken about how Sunderland struggles score more than one, two goals in a game. That comes down to the fact that the chances being created aren't necessarily um, constant or, or particularly high value. Um, but all I would say, you know, I've, I've made a charity bet with one of your fans about whether or not you go up. So at least someone is going to profit. Yeah, <laughs> profit, very true. Profit. And, and, um, and, you know, it's not a case of, it's interesting on the podcast, we talk, talk about it quite a lot. Um, and according to basically any time I, I seem to um, point out that a team um, is, is performing above their, um, above their expected uh, data points, let's say, um, it's, it's, it's interesting how many teams I apparently despise because it's definitely not the case. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but we'll see. And, all, all, all I would say on it again is, is just it, it, you know it's interesting how quickly fans who don't pay attention to the data suddenly pay attention when it's saying that their team is good rather than bad. So it works out in the end anyway. No press is bad press, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, and hopefully, when I come, if if I come back up to the stadium line next season, if if both Sunderland and Oxford are, are in League One, then I won't be uh, hounded out too quickly. No, hopefully, hopefully not, mate. Because you enjoyed you enjoyed your time you done last time. Because we obviously met at the, yeah. the fan zone, I think, didn't we last time? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I don't uh, think I'd be allowed to do that again, though. But unless I, I, can <laughs> I can do electro-expected goals, but no, no, I loved it up there, and it was a great game as well um, for us, at least. Um, and uh, and yeah, as I say, I mean, I've got nothing but but, but respect for the club. So touching on the promotion race, obviously we've got Wembley coming up, and everyone's really excited for that, right? Don't get me wrong, but we said before. I don't want to lose. I don't want to talk about it. I'd rather win and get promoted. But the, the, the main aim basically is promotion. 
So touching on the promotion race really, really quickly, it looks like Luton are completely unstoppable. I think they've got the title. I think let's be honest about it. I don't see them slipping up. Um, Barnsley sit in second place, five points behind ourselves, but with two games in hand. Potentially, there could be eight points ahead by Saturday, but we'll have three games in hand. Um, I think it's a four-team race, if anything. I think Luton, Barnsley, Sunderland, Portsmouth, for the automatic promotion, it's going to be two of those four. Um, how do you think the promotion race is going to pan out, and who would you say are going to be the two to go up? I I think the Luton and Barnsley are the likely two, um, and that's no... You know, disrespect to you guys. I think that at this stage of the season, points on the board is is incredibly important. Yeah. Um, and, and Barnsley's run of fixtures is really quite ridiculous. How favourable it is. Um, you know, their next game is is Coventry at home, and their toughest game left this season is Burton away. Um, and that's Fleetwood at home, Shrewsbury at home, Plymouth away, Blackpool at home, Bristol Rovers away. I mean, those, from those seven games, I mean, you you've got to have them in for about 18 points it's it's, it's, a, it's a bit ridiculous um your fixture list isn't much worse to be honest i mean you've still your the, the tougher games are at the stadium of light such as the as the portsmouth game um which is a big plus but if barnsley do go eight points clear of you even with the three games in hand it's a mammoth mammoth ask um to to to, to claw that back i would argue and and just the concerns as we've mentioned that, that all the you know the, the points and the wins that Sunderland pick up are so marginal um, and I mean, it may surprise uh, um, Sunderland fans to hear just how favourably the bookies um, have, have Barnsley down um, in the promotion race as well, one to four rather than 10 to 11. I mean, I think, again, I think that's just because of the fixture list, the points on the board, the, the, the kind of distraction, I guess, of this cup final coming up um, all slightly plays into their hands. I'm by no means ruling out um, Sunderland. I think that probably at the prices, Sunderland represent a little bit of value. Um, but Barnsley weren't particularly convincing uh, on on the TV game on Saturday against Walsall. Walsall had had you know the better of that game, I'd say, for the first half an hour or so, and we're unlucky not to go one nil up. Um, but this is a Barnsley team that I'm really, really keen on. I think in most editions, this Barnsley team would, would win League One. Um, although the, the the loss of Kiefer Moore, who of course so nearly became a Sunderland player um, for the season, doesn't help them at all. Uh, it's going to be very, very tight. I, I just feel like. Uh, Barnsley are the more likely to, to, to get that second spot. Um, I don't think Portsmouth will, will be able to catch them because, as I mentioned, I, I expect Barnsley to get so many points from now to the end of the season. I think it's too much for Portsmouth. I just think that for Sunderland to, ca- to, to catch them, it's a huge, huge, huge ask with, with, with nine games to go. Yeah, and I understand what you're saying with completely. I think there's a lot of time we've been looking at the games in hand and said win them and that's fine. But, you know, wins are, especially since maybe or the Barnsley game, in sort of November time are quite marginal. Um, there, there is a bit of panic there. I, I, I think we'll do it. I think we have, on the day, I think we've got the best player in the league. Um, I think we have one of the top two squads. I think that the big worry for me is I don't actually see Luton as one of the best sides in the league, but they just seem to keep picking up results. I think the best side we faced has been Barnsley, both home and away, I think, especially when they had Kiefer Moore. Uh, there was, he absolutely tortured our defence, if I'm honest with you. Um, but Luton just keep keep seem to like pick up results no matter what and yet when I look through their team I think there's better teams in the league but I don't think Luton are going to be catchable are they? No I don't think so and the thing about Luton is um, they may not have the, the headline names that, that, that yourselves and Barnsley do but uh, you know, this is a long time you know even though a long time planning uh, even though Nathan Jones has left the club this is 
an unbelievable managerial job that we're seeing still continue with him without him at the helm because this team has been built um, with with longevity in mind. Basically, I mean they're they're, they're so so effective and and two guys in Jack Stacey and James Justin who are their two fullbacks. Yeah, you know they're they're both two two young guys who are going to be playing top end of the championship or Premier League within twelve months eighteen months. Um, and Danny Hilton, they've got a striker who may not again be the name that you see that that you guys have, but he's an absolute menace up top and he also scores goals. Um, to boot, they're just a, they're just a well old machine basically. And and you know you saw Matty Blair, the Doncaster um, centre midfielder, saying that he thought Doncaster were the best team in the league before their game on on Saturday, and then they've been sent packing with a four 0 defeat. Um, yeah, I, I can't see this Luton. The, the only reason why Luton could feasibly fall apart is just because of the lack of Jones at the helm. But but I think if that was going to happen, it would have happened yeah. already. Uh, and they're another team with, with a pretty favourable-looking fixture list coming up. One thing I really wanted to touch on really quickly before we go to predictions, um, I, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, Chris Maguire was photoed, uh, photoed photographed um, <laughs> not too long ago um, without his protective boot on, uh, getting photos for, for Wembley, and everyone kind of thought, well, hang on, could he be fit? I don't think he's going to be, but... Um, from you're an, obviously you're an Oxford fan, so you're you're used to Chris Maguire and his, his shithousery, as we should call it. Um, yeah. How much of a miss do you think Chris Maguire has been for Sunderland? And do you think if he was fit, sort of from February onwards, we would probably stand a bit more of a chance of both winning on Sunday and and promotion as well? Or do you think Chris Maguire is a bit of a luxury man? So I'll make my bias clear pretty quickly. Um, Chris Maguire is my favourite ever Oxford player, uh, and, I, and I don't see that like. He was he stole my heart um, when he was with us and uh, and I miss him very, very much. And it's been it's, it was it was amazing for me to see him struggle against us because I am absolutely terrified of seeing him tear us a new one. Um so I think that un, you undoubtedly miss him. His uh, you know, his ability is so multifaceted. About I I don't think you've necessarily seen the best of his um set piece ability because you've got other players in the team who do so, but for us that was absolutely massive. The amount of of um, you know crucial free kicks he scored for us was incredible but it's also his ability to to, to keep the ball in, in dangerous areas effectively yeah. when, you, when you are keeping hold of a lead his ability to get the ball turn away from a defender draw a foul or just keep it is so massive and it's such an underrated quality um, for a for, for, for a player to have so I, I think any team in League One would um, would, would struggle without him and then you add to that the, the mental um, side he brings to it of, of just being able to to effectively troll opposition players on the pitch and opposition fans it just gives you gives you a one up um, and yeah I, I just I, I wish we could have him back because um, it was interesting whenever I when, when I was accused of, of hating Sunderland and wanting them to do badly I replied to a couple of people saying how much I loved Mags which was our nickname for him. And I think it got lost in translation a bit where, where people <laughs> thought I was saying something else. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a massive fan of his. And, um, and as long as he's at Sunderland, I hope you guys uh, do as well as possible. Yeah, I think I think Sunday would have been the perfect game for him. I wish, I wish he was fit because even if, you know, we get surprised and he, he ends up on the bench randomly, we don't expect it. He, he hasn't played for five, six weeks, I think. And I think... Wembley's such a massive game for him. Um, I yeah. know he's played there with Oxford before. I know he played against um, Coventry and I think he almost scored from a free kick, yeah. if I remember rightly. Yeah. Um, but it would be such such a huge game for him and I, I miss him dearly. Chris Maguire is my favourite player this season as well. I just love him. Um, um, if, if you, I mean, anyone who hasn't seen it, if you, if you look back, um, Oxford got to the, to the last 16 of the FA Cup uh, two years ago and went up to, to Middlesbrough. We were 2-0 down and went absolutely battered at half-time and Maguire curls in a free kick and goes absolutely bananas in the corner 
and then we score another about two minutes later. And that alone is the impact that he can have. Just taking a position where nothing's happening, you're, you're struggling against a Premier League side, a moment of quality gets the crowd going and two minutes later, you're level. Um, you know, that is the impact that you can have. And that's so important in a cup final, being able to have that mental advantage, that extra little bit of quality in order to just give your whole team a boost. Yeah. I, like I say, I just wish he was fit. I wish he yeah. was fit. But yeah. talking about Sunday, um, what's your predictions? Or should I say, what, what are your expected goals on Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> I reckon, I reckon Portsmouth will win the expected goals. Uh, I don't necessarily, given how it's going, how it's been going recently. Um, I think it's going to be. I'm going to go for one all draw. I will say, um, really sitting on the fence. I guess. I think sitting on the fence. I think you cannot um, predict a, a Sunderland not to score given the record this season. Um, I think the same can be said of, of Portsmouth, um, who are scoring goals for fun at the moment and hold so many aces um, up top. But at the same time, I think it'll be a pretty. I can't see you being. I think, as I said, I think it's more likely that Portsmouth um, score a few than you guys do, but um, but I can't see that happening. So a nervy one all, and then on to, uh, on to whatever comes next. Here's a question somebody asked, and I, I know the answer to this, I think, and I think you'll, you'll probably be able to answer the question as well. If it is 1-1, it goes to extra time. It doesn't go straight to penalties like the early rounds, does it? I think it's extra time. Um, I think Plus it's extra that. time for, for, um, for, uh, for the final. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not 100% sure on that, but, but my, my, my understanding is that it's extra time. So if it's 1-1, who wins the penalties? Um, oh, I'll, <laughs> I'll, say, I'll say you guys, I think. Just that, Good man. I mean, if, if, there's a, if there's anything you can say about Sunderland this season, it's the, the, the capacity to, to get late winners and to get results over the line and to, to force the issue. It's, um, it's absolutely, I've never, never really seen anything like it. Um, never, you know, there's that never say die attitude, turning bad results, bad performances into one nil wins, or, or coming back from one nil down to, to win games, as we saw against Warsaw again on Saturday. The spirit is definitely there. So um, if it came down to a penalty shootout, I think you guys would have the, the mental advantage. I'll take that. That's absolutely fine. I'll take <laughs> it. So George, thanks for coming on. Um, I think there'll be people interested to hear it. You've, you're like a little little mini celebrity with Sunderland fans this year because of yeah, <laughs> just just a little bit of data analysis. There you go. Um, well, ho- hopefully, ho- hopefully, um, you know, people change their opinions on me personally yeah. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. Well, good chatting to you, George. I really appreciate it. Um, for everyone who's listening, obviously, uh, if anyone sees me on Sunday. I'll probably not be in a, a fit state to reply. So apologies if I come across as a, if anyone says hello to me on Sunday and I've come across as a bit of a, a bit of an arse, I'm looking forward to my weekend as I'm sure you all are as well. Um, I, I think we'll win. My prediction is I'm going to, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to say 4-1 Sunderland. Wow. Let's, let's just go for it. Like why not? Flying in the face of what I've said. But, um... Yeah. Let's just go for it. There's no, there's no statistical analysis behind that. I'm just yeah. confident. It's overrated anyway. <laughs> yeah, stats is overrated. Stats is overrated. And I can confirm, I've just looked up the rules and it definitely is um, a period of extra time uh, before penalties. I thought so. Get, get, get the sky money again. You know, it's, it's worth it for the extra yeah, yeah, hour, exactly. isn't it? So, um, right, brilliant. George, thank you very much for coming on. Appreciate it. Enjoy Cheers, the rest mate. of your week. Cheers. Thank you. And you have a good time. You too. Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions, like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAG, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 
2%. That's just one way that BetDAC is changing for the better. For the better. Like you. BetDAC, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.